this morning. We're going to pivot into reading scripture and submitting ourselves under the teachings of Jesus today. So if you want to open up in your Bibles to Jude, uh, verses 20 through 23, there is no chapter in Jude because it's all one chapter. We're going to be there, and we're going through a series over the summer called uh, People of Prayer. It's flowing from our, our big emphasis for this year. What was, what was our, remind me, our emphasis 2023. Learning to pray. Spoken not in, in sync with each other. Echo, <laughs> echoing at learning to pray. Um, yeah, we opened up this year as a people, as a, as a church, a community seeking to follow Jesus more deeply and richly together, that uh, we, we wanted to humbly acknowledge that praying is very hard. And yet prayer is one of the primary emphases, emphases of Jesus and life with God. And so rather than just spinning our wheels and continuing to say, oh yeah, prayer is so hard, it's only for the spiritually mature and elite, maybe we have some assumptions about what prayer is and about how we follow Jesus that are off. And so we're dedicating this year to learning to pray. And a few simple elements of that. First, we said learning to pray. What would that be like? It would be like becoming people uh, of prayer, not just people who pray. So when life hits us, we pray. It becomes our first knee-jerk reaction. When we're celebrating something, we, we pray and we give thanks to God because we're remembering it's not about us. It's from Him. Um, when we suffer, when we struggle, when we wrestle, when we feel empty, we pray. Um, and it doesn't mean that we don't do other things, but it becomes our knee-jerk response. That's what becoming a people of prayer would be like. And so throughout this year, we set a few primary building blocks. We said we need to be humble enough to acknowledge we are not good at praying. Okay? Maybe some of you are prayer warriors. Hallelujah, we need to learn from you. Don't hide it. We need humility, though, for the rest of us to say, man, prayer is not regularly integrated into my life in the way that I believe Jesus would have for me, that Jesus invites me to experience. We need humility to acknowledge it. Second, we need conviction. That conviction is, even though I'm acknowledging in humility I'm not very good at prayer, I must learn to pray if I want to follow Jesus robustly. That's a conviction that we want to settle deep in our souls. That it's not an option or an ulterior thing, or we can follow Jesus just by believing in him and not actually learning to pray richly. And the third thing that that leads us to is courage. If we're humble about not being that great at prayer, if we have conviction that we must learn to pray, we need courage to actually move things around in our life so that we can become people of prayer. Make sense? So this, over the next few weeks, next several weeks, we're going to be unpacking various parts of Scripture to see if they can help us learn to pray and become people of prayer, okay? Today we're in Jude, verses 20 through 23. So would you stand with me while we read? This is one of my favorite letters in the Scriptures that uh, is often overlooked, it's not very frequently read. Many of you maybe have never read Jude, and hopefully you want to go back home and read it after we talk about it this morning. So um, why don't we read this all together um, out loud. We'll be using the translation that is printed out in your uh, worship 
uh, weekly bulletins. It's the CSB. You can read along out loud from there together, and then we'll pray. But you, dear friends, as you build yourselves up, Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we remember right now maybe what we have forgotten, that you are uh, the one who has given your son that we could become daughters and sons. That Jesus, you are Lord, ruling and reigning over all things. You are the king of the universe. The cosmos is at your feet. And everything broken, everything dark, everything evil or confusing, when held up to your light, is being brought under your feet. So we have hope. Holy Spirit, would you please speak to us. Help us to surrender everything in our life to the loving lordship and leading of Jesus today. And for anyone who has not yet seen the beauty, the majesty, the glory of Jesus in such a way that would convince them that he is the one they must follow, we pray would you open hearts and eyes this morning. For any of us that are wandering and feel like we're just tossed about in life right now and we can't discern up from down or where you are, Lord, uh, please meet us. Set us right side up. Give us reprieve. You are our fortress. You are our foundation. Holy Spirit, do what none of us can do individually. Meet us and lead us and speak to us today. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. All right, you can take your seats. Am I a little uh, tinny? Yeah, a little bit? A little bit? Okay, we'll work on that. All right, as we... Unpack learning to pray. Why this passage of scripture? Um, this passage of scripture speaks to something that I have seen in um, in ministry, in getting to walk alongside of many of you, and throughout 15 years of being in ministry. And I believe that many of us have a hard time, and myself included, in that learning to pray because we haven't set our trajectory of life accurately to the horizon that Jesus calls us to when he says, follow me. Jesus intends to remake us into people who desire what God desires and love what God loves. That's what it means to enter into his kingdom, is to become one of his people and to submit ourselves to his forming and molding. And so... Prayer is the work of rowing on the open seas to the horizon Jesus has set for us. And in our broken world, it's always against the current, always against the natural flow of the waters we live on, and even against what sometimes, maybe even frequently, feels natural to us. So, I want 
my one thing today is that we would see in Jude and as the, the teasing out of the implications of Jude's teaching on following Jesus for us, that if we want to become people of prayer, we must become people who strive to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. That means nothing left outside of the domain of Jesus in our life. Nothing in our lives that we would say, you have everything except this one thing. So we could articulate it in a lot of ways. Jude is going to say, on the horizon of the Christian life, what you and I are called to is to become people of love. People of love for God and people of love for neighbor. That should resonate in your your spiritual ears as you hear Jesus saying, here's the whole commandment of God. Love God and love neighbor as yourself. And sometimes, maybe even much of the time, prayer feels secondary in our life. It feels like a discipline in our life because we haven't actually set our life on the course that Jesus would call us on. And if we adjust that, Prayer may start to feel more essential and more natural. It's kind of like I went to the gym for the first time in a while. Um, had a few months where we, our family was passing around sickness. And my goodness, going to the gym and trying to like lift again, I feel weak. I'm still sore. Like parts of my body feel sore that I didn't remember could feel sore. And sometimes we treat prayer like a spiritual discipline that's a muscle. So it's like my bicep, right? It's like a component, but it's different than the other things that I might do in my following of Jesus. I think that's kind of the wrong approach to prayer. Prayer is more like the oxygen that we're breathing in as we're working out. That no matter what we're doing in the gym, if we're doing it with exertion and we're growing in our capacity, it's, it's we're breathing more heavily. And so rather than viewing prayer as this activity that we, need to, that we need to put into our calendar or create lists for, which is not in and of itself bad, maybe what we need to do is see that all of our life placed under Jesus, going to the gym and following Jesus and working out our discipleship will teach us to prayer out of necessity. Just like lifting and exercising makes us breathe more heavily by necessity. You see? So Jude is going to call us to a life of loving God and a life of loving people. And he's going to weave prayer into that. All right? So many of you are sitting here, and myself included, thinking, well, of course I love Jesus. Now, this is where rubber meets the road. Because we think that we love something, but we actually just love something we get from that something. This is very common. So we sit down with married couple, or couples that are pursuing marriage. And they're like, I want to be married. I love this person so much. And then we meet with them after they get married. And they're like, this person won't change. And we say, yeah, marriage is about patience and uh, um, forgiving. And yeah, but they're not changing. Like, I, I did that, but they're not changing. And we start to unpack the fact that marriage is is a commitment to someone regardless of what they do. It's it's a promise to love them. And what they've subtly accepted is the vision that marriage is about what this person brings me in happiness or joy or fulfillment and not actually loving 
the person in marriage itself. So I mentioned I go to the gym. Um, I love basketball. I love basketball. One of the things that drives me crazy when I'm playing basketball are the, the people who come in, start playing five on five with us, and are very eager to throw up shots from anywhere and never play defense. So they're a net liability. They don't hustle. They don't actually love basketball. They love putting the ball through the hoop in uh, impressive ways. If you love basketball, you love offense and you love defense. You love how both of those things bring together this beautiful sport called basketball. So some people come into church thinking they love Jesus. But really what they want is a Jesus who can affirm our worldview over and against what CNN or Hollywood elites would say on the left or what Fox News and conspiracy theorists would say on the right. But they won't accept that Jesus' kingdom is a different, of a different order than worldly politics. That it's distinct from both left and right. So they want a Jesus that will applaud their preconceived notions. You see, thinking we want something God calls us to, but redefining it to mean what we want, taking what we want but leaving behind what we don't, it's the essence of idolatry. It's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. So we can have anything that we want in here except God's withholding. So we're going to redefine good and evil. You see, Jesus calls us to a radical reorientation if we would follow him that transplants us from the center of our lives and places God and others and loving them in the center of our lives. That's the vision on the horizon. So, if we will commit ourselves to that, if we will simply seek to reorient our life and what it means to follow Jesus, I think we will be surprised at how much more prayerful we become. So, let's dive into Jude. Jude is Jesus' younger brother along with James. That's what we hear in verse 1, who's another author of Scripture, James is. Jude's letter is written broadly to churches. So this was written and it was passed around in early church communities, churches in homes, churches in, in um, places in the ancient Near East. And Jude's confronting what he says are false teachers. He says, you know, I wanted to build you up, but I'm actually realizing that I need to urgently warn you against false teachers. Now, what's surprising if you read through Jude is that his calling out of false teachers, he never names what the false teaching is. He simply says that they take the grace of God and they morph it, they change it, they manipulate it, they pervert it into sensuality and living however they want to. So they take the gift of God and then do whatever they want afterwards. And somehow they even excuse themselves into living however they want. If God really loves me and if it really is grace, then he certainly wouldn't judge me. So Jude points out false teachers, not by them making open statements that are contradictory to who Jesus is. They're not out saying, Jesus, he's not the son of God, you guys. I have the real truth over here. They're actually living lives contrary to Jesus. So he says things like they have no fear of sin or they reject 
authority. These are his actual words. They don't live as though they belong to Jesus, and they somehow even speak evil of angelic beings, which apparently is a big deal. They also rely on their dreams as a meaningful source of authority, presumably over and against Scripture. And then lastly, in verse 16, they're called grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires, loudmouth boasters, and showing favoritism to certain people in order to benefit themselves. Never does Jude tell the church to rebuke these false teachers or even to kick them out of the church gathering. Apparently, they're there, right? He says they participate in your love feasts, which was a term that they used for the gathering of the church. We would never use that term in our day. <laughs> you want to come to our love feast on Sunday? We get people showing up sorely disappointed, and maybe that's a great tool to get them to show up. <laughs> so Jude is telling us that saying and we follow Jesus and living comfortably in a life that prioritizes personal pleasure, success, and comfort is a kind of false teaching. It may not be declaring lies about Jesus, but it's declaring lies passively about what Jesus cares about. So our verses at the end of Jude's short letter where he gives us the antidote to the false teacher's way of life. Okay, It's going to teach us to pray. Look with me at verses 20 and 21. But you, dear friends, as you build yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. Now, depending on your translation... Verses 20 through 21 will look like either a series of commands that are just littered out there, or they may look more like a series of commands flowing from the real command in the original language in this passage is, keep yourselves in the love of God. Jude's primary calling to the church that has false teachers in it, living contrary to how Jesus would have us live, is to keep ourselves in the love of God. So the, the primary way that we exist together in our calling, the thing that can protect us, is to strive to keep ourselves in the love of God. That is to say, love is central to God's kingdom. Love is central to God's kingdom. Jude is combating false teachers by telling authentic Jesus followers to keep yourselves in the love of God. False teaching always leads you away from a life of love. False teaching always will lead you away from a life of love because love is primarily, at its core, other-oriented, self-sacrificing preference, service. Now, some of you are hearing like false teaching and you're thinking, yeah, what a, like love sounds great, false teaching, but remember, false teaching is underneath all sin. There's something that is being believed in an action that scripture says is outside of the bounds of what it means to follow Jesus because it's unloving. It's not actually loving God and loving people. 
it's primarily seeking to redefine our life and making it about us. So when we hear Jesus' call to forgive, and we say, yes, most of the time, Jesus, just not this person for what they've done. We're believing a false teaching. We're believing a teaching that most people are worthy of forgiveness, except those who hurt me sufficiently to not warrant my forgiveness. So false teaching in our day is no different. Sleep with whoever you want. Jesus brought us freedom, right? Or love is love, right? Or discover who you really are on the inside because God made you, right? Don't take Jesus' teaching too seriously. He didn't want anyone to feel judged, right? Make your priority to enjoy life. Everything is a good gift from God, right? Now notice that all of these things contain some semblance of a truth, but none of them lead to a life of love as God defines it. Deferring from yourself so that you can love God and love others. Following Jesus, growing in the kingdom of God, teaches us that first we receive the love of God. All of us got into following Jesus. If you would consider yourself a Christian, a disciple, a follower of Jesus this morning, it's because you saw God's radical, extreme, sacrificing love for you. That's how it always starts. That's the only way it can start. But then we also return love for God. The question for us is, is keep yourself in the love of God, referring to God's love for us or our love for God? Yes, it is. It's both and. At the start of Jude's letter in verse 1, Jude writes to these hearers and he says, you are, being, you are kept by Jesus Christ. Some of your translations say kept for. Um, an alternative translation is kept by Jesus Christ. And that makes a little bit more sense knowing that here Jude says, keeping yourselves in the love of God. Jude tells his hearers that they are kept by Jesus in verse 1, and now he tells them to keep themselves. The testimony of Scripture is very clear. God loves us into his presence in the kingdom in the first place, and then we learn to give ourselves in return. Paul says it in Romans 12, Therefore, by the mercies of God, present yourselves as a living sacrifice. So, this is the life that Eugene Peterson called receiving from God and giving back to him. He called it active passivity. Active passivity. It's passive in the sense that we receive from God his love but it's active in that it places obligations over us to live a certain way so that we would stay close to him and not leave him. Now, you and I need to know that if we want to become people of prayer, we won't hit it by staring at it. We'll arrive at it by looking to God and living the life that he calls us to live when he says, follow me. It's like when you're driving, you don't learn to drive by staring at the windshield. 
You look through the windshield at everything around you about where to go and where the obstacles are. If you look at the windshield for too long, you will crash into something, right? When, when Jude says, keep yourselves in the love of God, what he's saying is, all of you collectively, stick close to God. Receive his love and love him in return. That's your priority as followers of Jesus. That's over everything else. But he gives us, he teases out some ways that, what that looks like. He says, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Building yourselves up in your most holy faith. First thing that you and I need to see is that if we want to follow Jesus seriously, we need community. Building yourselves, not build yourself, okay? Keep yourselves in the love of God. When you chose to follow Jesus, you were swept up into a people, into a family, into a holy temple that God himself is building. And I hate to break it to you now, but you bear obligation to your brothers and sisters in Jesus, just like they bear obligation to you as their sister or brother in Jesus. There is no solo Christianity. The same thing is true in a life being called to follow Jesus in love. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, here's where that gets really hard. Who's the yourselves? It starts to get challenging when we want to obey it. Okay, who am I responsible for? Maybe in this room. Who's the us? Certainly none of us would say it's everyone. Clearly it's everyone. Just because you walked through the doors does not mean that you suddenly put obligation on everyone in the doors, right? This is why we need to think really intentionally about what it means to be long in the life of a church. It doesn't just mean you attend a certain number of Sundays in a row and then voila, you're one of the us. It's why we as a church have what we call mission partnership. We want to know who is it that we're obligated to in love. We want to know who we're responsible for when Jesus calls us to love one another, to build ourselves up in our most holy faith. Now, he transitions to specifically address prayer. Here's why prayer is really a byproduct of following Jesus seriously, loving God and loving neighbor. Living a life of love is unbelievably challenging and confronting. Okay, now we're getting down to the, to the brass tacks. Rubber meets the road. All of that is just a precursor to say, how does that lead us into lives of prayer? Let me give you an example. My neighbor called few weeks ago, and she said, hey, I need your help moving some furniture. Little old lady um, said, sure, I'll take the compliment. Need my help, my strength moving furniture around in your apartment. Turns out uh, she had bed bugs. Yes, if you've ever had bed bugs, you know. That is terrifying. Um, they're everywhere, and the way that you get, get, uh, get rid of them is bagging up every article of cloth in your entire home, putting it in a washer, drying it on high heat, bagging it up. Someone comes in and sprays everything. So I get there, and 
Mattress is up, box springs up, and there are bugs crawling all over. Yeah, skin crawling. Literally started feeling itching. And at first thought I had bugs crawling over me, and it didn't. It was just the psychosomatic thing of, oh my gosh, don't let any bugs crawl over me. And so I'm like, okay, where's, yeah, where, what can I help you move? And she's like, oh, I'm just bagging up stuff now. I thought, oh, that's, I'm thinking to myself, that's not really what you called me over here for. You know, because in my plans for the day, this, I had an hour before I needed to leave for work. I had some things that I wanted to do at home before I went to work. And so I'm thinking, you know, I go over, I move something, and in 10 minutes, I'm back home after moving the one, two, three things. And instead, I'm stuffing bags with, with things. And I start to feel the, like, this is not what I came over here for feeling rise up in me. I feel a little bit of annoyance rise up in me. And I'm thinking, how do I get out of this? How do I kindly say, all right, that's all the time that I had for today. And I feel what I take to be the conviction of Holy Spirit, just simply saying, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I, I have that inner lawyer inside of me that takes God's word and flips it inside out so as to excuse myself from actually obeying Jesus. But it's pretty hard to rework Love your neighbor as yourself when you are literally in your neighbor's home in a crisis where they're alone. They have no one else. So I start finding myself asking for God's help, trying to swallow my pride. When the call to love my neighbor confronted my plans for my day and my life and my comfortability, I found myself praying. And it wasn't because I'm such a good Christian. It was because I'm such a bad one. I started feeling angry at the thought of loving my neighbor. So do you see, if we take Jesus' word seriously, we will learn to pray. If we say, yeah, I'll, I'll obey Jesus when it's convenient, we won't learn to pray because we'll never be brought to the fringe of the end of ourselves. To do what he calls us to do. Do you see? And so, what I want to put before you is the keeping yourselves in the love of God and building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit and waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus that leads to eternal life. All of that is trying to say everything else in your life, all your ambitions for yourself, the grades that you need in order to feel okay with yourself, the suitor that you need to find in order to feel fulfilled, good things if we put them in their proper place. All of those things need to be held with open hands as desires that do not allow you to circumvent the plain meaning of what Jesus calls you and I to do in our everyday life. And when we're faced with that decision, going from Nothing that we've closed our fingers around. Our personal sense of success, a certain standard of living. And we open our hands to say, this is the place that you've placed me, God. I'm in West LA. I'm in the workplace I am. I'm living with the neighbors that, I've, that I'm living by. I'm in the classes that I'm in. You have placed me here not to first and foremost succeed according to my own definition. but to love God 
and love my neighbors as myself. You are not in class at UCLA to get a degree, first and foremost. You are not in your job to get that next level on your resume, first and foremost. You're not even here in a gathering of the church so that you can feel like you've, you've you know, tipped God for his great love for you so that you can go on living however you want. All of those things fall underneath the true human life that's real freedom and real joy and real peace that flows from a life of loving God and loving people. A quick word for those who hear this and think, I I'm already anxious. I already feel like I'm about to break. How can I possibly manage extra effort to love God and love people? And I want to I encourage you towards one adjustment. This isn't an addition to your life. It's making this your life. It's giving over all of those things to God and saying, whatever you give back to me, I'll receive. It's actually creating space in your life where the world's just said, oh, and you need this thing. Oh, and you need this thing. Oh, you saw this on Instagram. You need one of those. And then you feel the burden. And then you feel anxious and afraid and like a failure, like you're not pretty enough or not desirable enough or not successful enough. And God said, I didn't call you to those things. Those aren't burdens that I gave you. And Jesus says, for all who are weary and heavy laden, come to me, take my yoke upon you, and I will give you rest. And one of the main ways he gives you rest in our day, in our place, is by freeing you from all the burdens that the, the world wants to give you. What if you could live a life so radically committed to loving God and loving people with a people called the church that you didn't feel like you needed savings that could float you for three months if you lost your job. Because you had a church family that was called to love you. Like that was the conversation that we had last week at the, at the stewardship talk on treasure. One of the reasons that we have such a hard time stewarding our, the stuff that we have is because we believe that we don't actually belong to a people that are bigger than us. And so we need to be self-sufficient. And you can never be self-sufficient to live a loving life following Jesus. So, I want to just give us a couple of seconds of quiet to say, Lord, you tell us to pray in the Holy Spirit. That means there's a way in which we can open ourselves to your presence with us. And you'll actually speak, you'll lead, you'll bring up, whether it's um, encouragement and, and reminders of your affection, or it's conviction and something that's in the way as a barrier between you and me. And I want us to simply ask the Lord, what is it, if there's anything that is getting in the way of me living a life following you, Jesus, love towards God, love towards neighbor, with the church. So Holy Spirit, you tell us to pray in you. 
We take that to mean you are with us, you're within us, we can be immersed in you, your personal presence can lead us and speak to us. We want to focus our attention on you now and invite you to speak. So, whatever you may be sensing right now, I would encourage you first and foremost to make this a kind of daily exercise, just as we've wanted to make it a communal exercise, to address Holy Spirit as a person, the third person of the Trinitarian God, who is with us as our helper in this life living for Jesus, living with Jesus, to address him, to invite him to have our way, to open our hands before him, and to actually expect him to speak and lead us. And if we feel like novices or like we fall on our face, it's a great time to dive in with followers of Jesus that are a little bit ahead of us in discipleship. So whatever it is that you may have sensed, and if you didn't sense anything, that is okay. There are plenty of times where I sense nothing, but I can take solace in knowing I, I tried. I drew near, and the Lord saw fit not to give me anything. And so I have the scriptures to know how, I, how I'm to follow him, how I'm to walk and to lead, and I have the church body around me so that I can know how to, um, or who, with whom I am following Jesus. But if there was something that, you sense from Holy Spirit as a barrier in your loving God and loving people. What Jesus calls us to do is bring it to him for what's called confession. It's laying before him the things that get in the way of our communion with him. And what we're promised is mercy. That's why Jude says, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus that leads to eternal life. Whenever we're convicted of something, it's never for our shame. It's always that God could actually give us eternal life in exchange for the bondage of the sin. And so, in the quiet of your own heart, or maybe you want to go to the prayer team later on when we're praising God, laying it before Him, Lord, I've idolized, I've, I've committed myself more to work than to loving you, Jesus. I've envisioned a life where I get old and rich and retire and travel the world and just live comfortably rather than a life where at the end of it, people will surround my casket, eyes filled with tears because of the way I impacted them for you, loving them as you have loved me, a broken and flawed yet striving follower of you. I've envisioned a life influencing a lot of people, but not a life of entering into eternity after I die, and the roar of the angelic host and the saints who have gone before us saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest of your master. And I promise you, in that moment of raw vulnerability, you will not feel shame from God 
you will feel air enter your spiritual lungs again. You will feel peace go throughout your body. You will feel freedom from compulsions that you once experienced. We learn to pray as we learn to love God and love people, following Jesus together. And I would have loved to be able to unpack verses 22 and 23, but that's where Jesus calls us to actually stir and exhort one another in the church to this life of following Jesus. He says, have mercy on those who waver. This is a hard thing that we're doing, but it's where real life is found. We have patience for people who are struggling to follow Jesus, who are struggling to give up what it is Scripture calls us to lay aside. So, we're going to pray now. I'm going to invite the, the band to come up. And <clears throat> we're going to pray. We're going to take the Lord's Supper so that we can remember learning to pray is a byproduct. It flows from setting our gaze on the horizon that Jesus calls us to. Keeping ourselves in the love of God. And we, we want to hear Jesus' words as we come to a close. In John 15, verses 9 and 10. As the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. There it is. The free love of Jesus to anyone in this room today. And you might consider yourself not a Christian, not a follower of God. The, the invitation is to be loved by the God who made you and desires you to the point of giving himself to death for you. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Remain in my love. There's that same language. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love.